I'm glad that you all showed up early this morning for our special Pentecost service here today so you can find a good seat with the crowd that is here today. And for those of you who only come on Pentecost Sunday, I want to let you know that we do have other great worship services that take place throughout the year. Just come on back, invite you back to that. And if you're concerned at all about being able to get out of here, I'm trying to be able to go home and unwrap those Pentecost gifts that are sitting there waiting at home for you. Don't worry, we'll be done in an okay time. It could be able to. What's that, Pat? You don't want to drop you any Pentecost gifts? Did you not serve you the customary breakfast and bed for Pentecost this morning? No. Who? No, no, no. Why not? You know, do these people not know that this is the most important day in the entire church year? You know, this is just an Easter for, for, for Christians for the last 2,000 years? They'll find out, yeah, absolutely. You know, actually, these people might know. Maybe some people, you know, just uh, generally that don't know. We need to start having Pentecost men piping into stores. That's the thing, you know, so that people can learn, you know, that Pentecost is this most important day. Yes, for the last 2,000 years, Pentecost has been one of the most, the, you know, Pentecost and Easter really was the most important holiday in the Christian year. Maybe the amusement today about Pentecost and what it's all about has something to do with why so many churches are struggling. But we can do something about that today. We can learn what it is that Pentecost is all about and, and, and tap into, like Brenda was talking about up here, the power of that spirit. By the way, kids, if you're listening out there, do not put paper into toasters. Okay? As that is not a good thing to do. But for us here, we're going to learn about the Spirit and a different kind of flame than one that comes from paper and toasters. It's the flame of the Spirit that comes to Pentecost. So on this day, we get to hear, in addition to the verbal gymnastics of our scripture reader, Karen, Karen, wherever you are, and uh, back there, that's right, uh, as you very well read that, that, that uh, chapter from Acts about uh, what happened on the very first Pentecost Sunday. And here in that, um, in that uh, chapter, we read this way, it begins this way. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tons of fire that separated the came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues of the Spirit enabled them. Now, Pentecost uh, was a special day also in the Jewish church year. And it was uh, one of three festivals where people uh, who were of uh, the Jewish faith were expected to come to Jerusalem, to the Jewish temple there, the, the Jerusalem temple, and worship at the temple. It is also called the Feast of Weeks because it occurred, uh, because when it occurred, which is five weeks after the Passover. And of course, Passover was when Jesus and his disciples, five weeks earlier than the story that we just read, uh, was when Jesus and his disciples were celebrating the first Lord's Supper in that upper room. Now, it is, uh, the significance of it is not simply when it occurred, uh, it's just simply refers to 
for the members to win the case. It's kind of like you when know, some people refer to Independence Day as being the Fourth of July. You know, the Fourth of July case. And for all these people, it implies what they're celebrating. What they're celebrating in the story is this. They're celebrating the great gift of God. Specifically this way. They're celebrating the great gift of God because it is also marking the end of the wheat harvest. And this is a culture where eating bread is an important thing. It's a staple to their diet. So the wheat harvest is extremely important. They're celebrating the good gifts that God gives to people, and then they go to the temple, and then they give back to Him their first fruit. The farmers literally mark the very first grain that appear in their field, and they bring in their grain to offer at the Lord. And also, in addition to that, the other great gift that they are celebrating is the giving of the law and Moses and what happened in the deliverance of people from slavery in Egypt. We're celebrating the Ten Commandments, which I think is particularly appropriate as we are in the midst of this sermon series on relationships and using the Ten Commandments to talk about that. But we have the relationship, a relationship with God and we have a relationship with other people. So some of these Sundays when this main theme series is talking about relationships with others and sometimes talking about a relationship with God. And here on Pentecost then, we see God taking this day that was set aside to celebrate God's good gift. And he gives this great gift, which is the gift of his spirit. The gift of his Holy Spirit. Now these Jews that came from all over the place, this is why when we see in this in this passage we, we read about what is taking place there, and all of these different uh, place names are given. You know, because these are Jews coming from all over. And they're coming to the temple, and in, in, in the passage it says that the disciples were all gathered together in one place. Doesn't specify where their place is, but because they were uh, devout uh, practices of the faith as well, they would have been in the temple. So that would be where the Holy Spirit came to them. And of course, then they've got all these people gathered around them who are saying, What in the world is going on here? And Peter gives a great sermon where he explains to them, all these people are explaining to the others in their own languages where they come from these various parts of the world. You know, they did not, you know, go through a deluxe course or something like that. The Spirit gave them powers that they did not otherwise have. And they were able to explain to the people um, and, and use the powers of the Spirit to pass on this great news about Jesus. And this mass number of people came to faith in Jesus that day because of the outpouring of the Spirit. Now, Luke, who's the reporter of this event, says that this giving of the Spirit was a fulfillment of what God had to say for the Old Testament prophet Joel. What we'll see here with Pentecost and in the giving of the Spirit is that there's a lot of things that took place in the Old Testament that point to this day. It's so significant that's why throughout the history of the Christian church, this thing, this day, is celebrated so, so, so much. But there in Joel, it says this. It begins the prophecy by saying this. In Joel chapter 2, I will return you for the years the locusts have eaten. The great locusts and the young locusts and the other locusts and the locusts swarm a great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat which ties into the sweet harvest until you are full and you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God and that there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. Now, it talks about the thorn 
with the locusts of Eden. And many of us have been preparing as locusts. A locust we can even see you know, as Pentecost celebrates this time of Moses being delivering people from slavery in Egypt. Um, that locusts, in the plague of locusts, was one of those great plagues that were visited on the Egyptians to convince them to let the Hebrew slaves go. You can also see since that time that um, locusts, swarms of locusts, have been you know, the plague that can be visited on various people. And they come in as a swarm of locusts under the farmer's field and leave virtually nothing left except trouble on the ground, which brings economic ruin to those people and famine, uh, starvation, as they have nothing to eat. It's a terrible time. And yet, figuratively speaking, we can also say that we have experienced, and it is here that we time when the locusts have been there. And this comes as a promise to you. That for those of you who have experienced times of difficulty, times of drought, spiritually, times of loneliness, times of discouragement, times when you needed God to show up, that you have this promise in Scripture that He can to do this miracle and restore what the locusts have eaten. It means to bring you this that you are, to bring you encouragement and kind of discouragement to, to meet you at your need. And that happens, it describes, uh, it, as it is connected to the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God showing up. It is, uh, it is linked to that. So the story goes on to say this in verse 28, and afterward I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And uh, this is what happened on that very first Pentecost day that God showed up. And in this, we can see this too, as these great words, especially for those of us maybe who've got some adult children that have wandered from the faith. And we read these words that your sons and daughters will prophesy. For some of us, maybe it's a relationship, maybe even family relationship, uh, where we can see that the locusts have eaten and we need God to restore these things. And we have a promise here that when God's spirit shows up, people are restored. A miracle happen. And it's a wonderful, wonderful promise. Now, some churches have chosen to view the coming of the Holy Spirit as being a once and done event. Never to happen again. But if we look at the history of Christianity, and if we look at the rest of Scripture, what we can see is that God's Spirit comes again and again and again and again and again and again and again to His people. Time and again, we see movements of the Spirit and people coming to the Lord and, and even whole societies being transformed by God's Spirit. We can see that too, even just later on in the book of Acts. Well, when we, when we just flip a few chapters on down the road, we can see uh, the story about this centurion by the name of Cornelius. And it's a great story that I share with you this morning because I think it explains even more about the movement of the Spirit, even beyond that Pentecost day. Well, we can see this. Here's the way it goes. Is that there was uh, a centurion, uh, which means an officer in the Roman army, who was living in this city by the, by the name of Caesarea. 
And Sergio Leone, and let's see that picture up there. Let's see this picture of Sergio Leone. Okay, this picture that I took on Sergio Leone, and this is facing the ocean, of course. That would be a group that is in the lower right hand corner. But this is taken from the Hippodrome, which is if you've seen, you know, either one of the Ben Hur movies, what you saw was these chariot races that occurred in the Hippodrome, and so. The Hippodrome is largely intact, and you know it's very much like our stadiums of today, where you've got the rows of seating and you've got the aisles and all this kind of stuff, and people would sit there and they would watch the chariot races in front of them with the sea in the background. And Caesarea was a relatively new city at the time of of Jesus, the time of Paul and the early church, and it was this place that was kind of amazing because. Uh, Herod the Great, who was the same Herod that the wise men came to to find directions for the Christ God, Herod the Great was the one who uh, was called the Great in part because he was a great builder. He built the temple in Jerusalem, for example. And he also built this city here. Uh, and uh, at that time, like now, as you see there, it doesn't have a natural harbor. So what he did was he took concrete, think of this, 2,000 years ago, took concrete that would harden underwater. And he created this harbor that was this great harbor of its day. And Caesarea became this very Roman city in Judea. So much so that many Jews would look at it and say, oh, that's too Gentile for, for it to be in Judea. We're going to wipe our hands of it. That, that's not really part of Judea, but it really was. It was part of Judea. And it was the place where the Roman government had its seat. So Pontius Pilate, you know, we read about Pontius Pilate at the time of Jesus and think that maybe he had it. His office there in Jerusalem. No, he had it here in Caesarea. Now, this was the seat of that. It was the seat of Gentile Roman rule that did not really have much Judaism in it or Christianity. So, there in this place was this concern of the name of Cornelius. And God came to Cornelius of all people. And he said to him, Cornelius, I want you to spend. With someone down in Jaffa, which would be to the left of what you're seeing right there, down in Jaffa. And he wanted to go send some people down to Jaffa. And then they will find a man praying for the name Peter. I want you to bring him here. Now, you know, an amazing thing to hear from God, an amazing thing to hear from the Spirit, but to hear on both sides. Now, Peter, meanwhile, you know, the disciple of Jesus, and the great disciple of Jesus, was down there. He, he uh, for some reason, we don't know why, but he's staying in a house down in this place called Joppa. Remember the name Joppa so many times in, in the Bible? What, what's Joppa? So what story in the Bible does Joppa appear? Anybody? Jonah. Yeah, Jonah. So Jonah hears from God, okay? Jonah's laughing, that tells him, hears from God. And he says, uh, God says to him, go to Nineveh, that great city. That is the enemy of Israel. And tell them to repent. Turn around for their long time to Okay? And Jonah says, uh-uh, I'm out of here. I'm, I'm gone. And he goes to Joppa. He flees to Joppa and catches the ship. How good, you know, gets thrown off the ship in the midst of the storm and winds up in the water and all that kind of stuff. Okay, that's Joppa. That's where Peter is right now. And Peter's up on the roof in Joppa. And he's praying. And in the midst of this prayer, he received a vision, and in the vision, he's got this great sheet uh, with all these animals on it to come down to him. 
that Jesus is not supposed to eat, and here's this voice from God saying, Peter, take an eat. And Peter responds by saying, No way! I'm not doing it! And it hasn't turned out now. And I'm going to hear that song, and that's all I've done. And see this vision, what God is telling him is, says, Peter, I want you to go up here to this place where good Jews are not supposed to go. I want you to go to Caesarea. And I want you to go not only to Caesarea, but I want you to go to the house of a centurion, a representative of the Roman government. I want you to go there. And Peter said, No way! Just let them know. The question is, what is Peter going to do about it now? Peter is really the most reluctant evangelist to come along from China. But he's hearing from God's Spirit. So, in, in the midst of that, as, as hearing from God's Spirit, and God's Spirit is telling him, hey, you're going to get some messengers coming here to you from the house of Cornelius. Go with them. And just then, and knock on the door, and hear these messengers, and Peter decides to go with them. Now, when he gets up to Caesarea, and comes into Cornelius' house, lo and behold, Cornelius' house is filled with people. He's, he's gone out, and he so believed what God had to say to him, that he went out, and he invited all of his friends, and all of his neighbors, and all of his relatives to come on over and hear what Peter's going to have to say. Now, Cornelius, especially in his position, could stand to have major egg on his face if either A, Peter doesn't show up, or B, Peter does show up, and there's no there there. There's nothing going on, but he believes God's spirit. And he follows it. And the reason why I'm explaining this story is because what it describes is a situation for us. That, that this happens after Pentecost. And just like with Cornelius and with Peter, God can come to us and provide leadership and guidance to us and choices for us to make if we're going to follow him or not. If we're going to listen to him. Now, for many people, many people don't understand how to hear God's voice. And, and uh, when, when, when they think, now, how does that happen? Does God speak in an audible voice? I mean, God can, but that's not always the way to happen. The important thing to know here is this is that when, when the Spirit came to Peter on that rooftop, Peter was praying. Peter was coming to with God's Spirit. He's investing in this relationship and listening to him. Many times people, when they pray, what the prayer consists of is this sporadic, once in a blue moon kind of a thing where, um, or maybe a rope prayer, or, or maybe Lord help me out, you know, there are flashing lights in my rearview mirror, and I don't want to take it right now. You know, whatever the prayer might be, that in the spur of the moment, emergency kinds of prayers, but that's not the kind of prayer that hears from God. The kind of prayer, as much as it is great to bring God our request, and we like from God, okay? but what the kind of prayer is that hears from God is the kind of prayer that spends time with God, like Peter was doing, that expects God to show up. And then God does. And then there's promptings and there's leadings and there's guidance and you kind of get to know God's spirit and God's spirit speaks in your spirit and can fill your life with joy and sense of direction. And this promise from Joel that we will pour out my spirit on all people. Trust me, what do you think all might mean? Is that all except for you? What all means is all 
Yeah, well, really, all who, like Peter, are open to him. All, like Peter, who is or are open to him. I mean, and Cornelius, of course, I think Cornelius is a little surprised to hear from him. Even though Cornelius is one of the people that is called a bad spirit, which means he wasn't a Jew, but he was interested. He was, he was trying to practice some of the Jewish faith. He was trying to seek after God. So all means all, like Peter, who seek him out, who listen to him. So Peter went to Cornelius' house, and there was a house of people. But unlike John for him, Peter actually went there and he actually shared the great things about what God is doing and freedom in him. Freedom in Jesus. And like that first day of Pentecost, when Peter got up and he spoke this great message about what Jesus was doing, he gets up and he gives this message and something happens with his pride in Cornelius' house. The people that were here are observing this and, and you know, they seem to be kind of skeptical about how you are right with one of the Gentiles like, oh man, you know. Um, and, and they then they see that the spirit is moving among people who are hearing God's words to Peter. And they begin to speak another language, just like the people, the disciples are Pentecost again. And they can see that the spirit is there and, and the spirit is in them, and, and when they look at them, they say, Wow, if God's spirit is with them, what's to stop us from baptizing these people? These people, and this is the first time that the church branched out from just being a Jewish sect, it began to spread out. And, and they said, What's the what people? So they baptize these people and become Christians that day, beginning with Cornelius, to listen to the spirit. Now, Paul said that the Holy Spirit is God's. Guaranteeing the eternal life that he's promising. And he said that, I think, because he knew that believers had the Holy Spirit. But for many people, many people today, you know, they might be like Cornelius was, hanging on around the place, interested, maybe, but, but not really quite there. But it brings us back now to Joel's third part of his prophecy. You see, Joel's prophecy is in three parts. The first part is that he will restore what the locusts have eaten. The second part is the coming of the Holy Spirit. And now the third part is this. Joel 2. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. He's talking here about judgment day. The day when Jesus will return. And all people, all people will stand before him. And it will be judgment day, the separation of the sheep from the goats, as the Bible puts it. And we can look at that day, and, 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 and some people may say, oh, come on, that's going to happen. And you've been 2,000 years. You can't come. But why would he fulfill so many promises in Scripture, and this would be the only one he wouldn't fulfill? You know, he would fulfill the promise about Jesus coming on a Christmas morning. He would fulfill you know, a promise of, uh, to, the, to the Jews about going to the promised land. He would fulfill the promise of the coming of, of the Holy Spirit. He, and he's not going to fulfill this one. And the judgment of his coming. But here's the good news. But that spirit is given to you as a deposit, guaranteeing that you will be saved. But when you know God in your life, when you have God in your life, and He is there 
fully present with you, that is a guarantee that someone is And that's what a family of Christianity experiencing spirit in the world. All who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus said that there will be those today who will say in that day, But Lord, you preach more time. And Jesus will respond by saying, God, you never knew you. And today we can look around and say, or maybe it's translating that into today, we can say, But, but Lord, I, I went to a Christian church once in a while. But Lord, I thought I good thoughts about you. But Lord, I taught this Bible the good book. And Jesus responds by saying, But I never knew you. You never let me know. Well, you kept me at arm's length. You thought that you knew best. So you kept me at arm's length because you were afraid that maybe if I came into your life, you know, things might be different. You were afraid of that. For some of us here, we might not have ever known that presence. And it's kind of, you know, like, wow, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what this is all about. And for others, you know, maybe we've known this presence, but, but it's, it's like, you know, I, I need to get back to it. I need to know the Spirit in me. It's very, let's turn to God. And what's your peace now as you turn to Him? In the next few moments, if you would, We'll just take a few moments to try and pray. And I'm just going to invite you to turn to the Father. He says he's going to give you his spirit. And that's really hard to do. Turn to him now and kind of try and pray with you. Open yourself up to him. Inviting him to come to you. 